Welcome to the Talk with Clads podcast. Your host is Katie Ann, an island girl on a journey with her guests to learn about their backgrounds, businesses, passions, experiences, life lessons, and wins. Come and laugh, cheer, learn, and plan with us. My friend, take some time to come and talk with Clads. Hello world, welcome to Talk with Clads. My name is Katie Ann and I will be your host for today. We are joined by two special guests. We have a mother-daughter duo. Uh, we have Sophia. Sophia and Bursley has 16 years real estate experience in both the commercial and residential field. She is a native of the island of Jamaica and has really been a game changer in her industry. She's joined by her daughter, Tonian, who went to FSU for four years and has a bachelor degree in social science with a concentrated in, concentration in economics. She is a recent graduate of Harvard University with a master's of liberal arts and finance. Talk about brains. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. I'm going to say... I'm going to start with, 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 uh, and you both can take the, the question, I guess. Okay. For your journey into real estate, was this something that was planned or was it unplanned? It wasn't planned. It was, um, I know I want to do something. I know I didn't want a nine to five. And I want something that I can say I create. I do this. This is me. And I think. It was, I think the decision was easy that real estate could be that choice for me. Real estate was the choice for yeah. you. All right. And Tony Ed, we had a, a pre-conversation, which I, I wish I had recorded. How did you decide on your journey into, because you chose finance, mm -hmm. of what your area was going to be and why? So, um, like you said, I graduated with a focus in economics from Florida State. But I really wanted to focus on one particular area, which was finance, because there are parts of economics and finance overlap. And then I got, at that point in time, my dream job at Northwestern Mutual post-graduation, working as a financial representative. And I was working as you know, financial advisors, and you know I was building my book of business and meeting with clients and building up their financial plans. And I realized that I thoroughly enjoyed that aspect of finance. And I also loved how fulfilling it was because I knew that I was playing an important role in these people's lives, you know, whether it be planning for their children or planning for their retirement, whatever the case may be. I just thoroughly enjoyed like being part of that. But over time, I realized I just wanted to kind of, I guess, in my personal opinion, broaden my impact in a sense, not saying that, again, it was so fulfilling, but I wanted to kind of dive into more of the corporate finance part of it and just looking at like corporations as a whole and just really dealing with like bigger numbers and, and bigger sets and just challenging myself a little bit more. And that's why I decided to get my master's in finance because yes, a focus in economics helps and the, on the, um, the experience that I had helped, but it wasn't enough to really do what I wanted to do moving forward. So I'm just getting my master's. Um, part, of even, part of even applying to Harvard was my mother because her whole thing was like, one of my kids have to go to Ivy League school. I was like, I, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> See how this goes. Yeah, and they did the whole, you know, process. Um, took the classes, applied, had the interviews, and uh, miraculously got that email. And here we are. <laughs> Two years later. Yeah, and while 
in school, um, I realized that, yes, finance was definitely like the place for me. It was definitely something that I really wanted to do. Because normally sometimes, you know, going into school for something, like you think you want to do it and then you take a couple classes, you're like, you know what? No, this is not for me. (laughs) So, but it just kind of reaffirmed and cemented, you know, the path that I was going to take moving forward. Okay. So let me ask you this. Uh, Do you think going both to FSU, which is a well-known school, and also Harvard, which most people think of as the holy grail of schools, and Sophia being the parent of someone going to both schools and probably financing that on the back end, do you think higher education matters? You're going to have people that say, you know, school isn't for everybody. Which I, I agree. I don't think there are some people who thrive outside of the acad- academic um, environment. But I, for me personally, I just think as black people and being a black woman, I feel like there's education, something that someone can take away from you. I mean, owning a business, something they can't take away from you either. Don't get me wrong. For me, though, I just, I mean, I really, I don't think I'm like the starting a business type of person. Everything is, isn't for everybody. So for me, yes, I think higher education matters. I think it's important. I think for the minority community, that's that's our best way of really getting out of certain situations and dealing with systemic oppression and systemic obstacles is having education. Yes, it's not the end-all be-all, and I would never say that, but it's it's a darn good start. <laughs> and it's, it, in my opinion, it's, it's very beneficial. Okay. All right. And I then, think, Sophia, what- I what, think you start to- do this is another step of breaking generation curse. If um, a lot of time you have kids, um, grandkids said I'm the first one to ever go to college. So in a sense, it's sort of break the curse if you have never been or your, your parents have never been to college. Nobody in the family have been to college. You make that first step. It's sort of, it's sort of feel good. You, you feel good. I know that you can um, get a better job and then you'll be much better than your parents financially, economically, you'll be much better. And then it, it goes on and on and on. And we, we really need that, especially in the black community too. So I think I, I, I'm a defender of education all the way. Yes, I just think you should. I never say it's not for everybody. I think it's for everybody. <laughs> get something. I'm not saying you have to get a four-year degree, but go and get a skill. Something. Because you can use a skill and start a job Something too. vocational. Yes. So I just think it's for everybody. Yeah, that's my opinion. Okay. <laughs> and a very strong opinion, I should say. Um, so while you were at, were in school, Tony, and, I, and I, I'll, I'll also touch base with Sophie on a different topic, because I it's interesting for me listening to you having such a high opinion and also being the supporting system for your daughter. But I also think that you did it the non-traditional route. So being an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur, however they want to pronounce the word, um, it's still the same thing. You know, your journey I- itself is, is, is literally a book. So I know you say, not trying to change your mind, that higher education is important, but you're successful in your own right, not going the traditional route. Um, well, you know, um, in essence, I did went back to school and I did got a degree. So I think, I think, I am saying, get something though, something that you can fall back on. Fall back on if something don't work out. So if I had in real estate and it doesn't work, I have a degree that maybe I could get a nine to five job. So you have options. That's what all I'm saying. Just have something. Okay. Yeah. Up, plan A, plan B. 
just have something where you can fall back on too. Yeah. So given your background, do you see yourself as a nine to fiver? No. I'm nine to five in my own company, but I'm not a nine to five now. <laughs> no, I can't. No, I'm, I'm never a nine to five. I always want to have my own time, run my. I'm like a autocratic. I just do things and just do it my way. Okay, but yeah. there's nothing wrong with nine to five. Oh, there's <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong. It's it's not I'm everything for everybody. It's not everything for everybody. Yeah, you're going to be nine like, to five. Like you can, but then you could even start your own company after that. You can do an edge fund after this. Couple more years and you can start your own edge fund. Look at mama. You have the experience. Look at mama, people. That is mommy's like saying, listen, girl. Well, you're going to delegate jobs. That's where Um, you start to point fingers. Okay. Now you have the job. (laughs) I I can still point fingers at a CFO. Okay. All right. (laughs) So we we discussed, Tony, in like your pre or pre conversation that you have a a plan. Mm hmm. So what does that plan look like for yourself um, leaving school? Um, so like I was saying, I plan on being or becoming a CFO by the time I'm 40. Definitely before I'm like 45 is pushing it, in my opinion. Sadly. Listen, that millennial. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, the plan is to get there by 40. The average CFO, especially for a mid to large cap company, has about 12 to 15 years experience. Well, 10 to 15 years experience because you're counting mid cap. They're a little smaller, right? Um, so for me, my plan is... Start off with a night like a influential company, right? Whether it be a Goldman Sachs, whether it be a Boeing, whether it be a, even American Airlines, just a company that, regardless of where I go next, it's gonna look good, right? Because I know I wherever I went, I came from like a wealth of knowledge, and and it's commendable to an extent, right? Start there, like I said, no more than two to three years. Um, that's just me personally because CFOs they become CFOs because they have experiences in different industries. Mm-hmm. It'll, I think. You have more respect as a CFO if you worked in like retail, aerospace, investment banking, and medical field than just someone just spend their entire 12 years investment banking. It's like, yes, you have that experience, but where's your adaptability? Where's your, you know, your capacity to switch up the numbers or delegate certain things? Because, you know, in certain industries, this work in certain industries, this doesn't work. I think the more knowledge that I have, the more experience that I, that I do have will definitely be able to solidify my goal of becoming a CFO at 40. There are people that get there a little faster. If we get there a little faster, that'd be superb. Um, again, the the plan is to have like you know higher position and do as least less work as possible. <laughs> because at the end of the day, that's what America. That's the American dream. You have a nice capitalism. little job, and yes, capitalism. Unfortunately, capitalism. you're exploiting people underneath you. Yep. And um, the immigrants. Exactly. Your goal is not to expose an yes. immigrant being an immigrant exactly. of ourselves. That's not the plan. Um, but uh, yeah, but, that, but that's where I see myself. Um, and definitely break up industries every four to five years and just working forward and keeping a solid work ethics. I, I do understand that I'm going to have to put in some work, a lot of work, yeah. especially as a, you don't see a lot of black female CFOs. That's very rare. You have companies getting sued because of that the lack of diversity um, yeah um, um and just in those higher end positions like those board members or chairmen we don't you don't see us so i think that's why i'm also doing as well because i feel like there are people who don't see themselves getting that far because they feel like the option's not really there and for me personally i've always i've always put the pressure on myself to try to set an example whether it just be like internally with my family or externally with like with people that i've just met because you never really know who's looking at you. You know, you never really know who 
is possibly downplaying their experience or their knowledge or their their capabilities because they feel like there's just no space for me. So yeah, and you have women, black women, breaking barriers every single day, and I would just like to do my little part in that, okay. and then see what happens moving forward. All right. So what were some as as you did you know you journeyed as a student? Um, what were some non academic lessons that you learned along the way? Um. So for me. I I realized that I'm very sensitive, right? I'm very sensitive about my craft. I'm very sensitive about what I do and what I speak on or like what I take pride in. And going to Harvard, uh, you have to get out of that because (laughs) you think you have the capacity or the capabilities to do certain things and they're there to tell you that you don't. And it's okay to not have that because that's where you're here, you know? So I think for me, it just, I feel like I matured a lot. I matured a lot and mm-hmm. I, I grew I grew a lot and I'm very, very grateful for that experience because it's it's not like they I'm not gonna use the word break you down because it's a very negative connotation, but I think they kinda like strip away certain things that I feel like to an extent can hold you back. Right? And kind of form you into a more solid individual in the sense of like your like mental capacity and what you can take and kinda kinda just be able to brush things off a little bit more easily because you know, the people that are going to test you and look at you a certain way or speak to you a certain way. And if you let everything they say get to you, it's going to be very difficult for you to move forward in anything. And that's something that I had to learn while I was there. It took a while, <laughs> but I learned it. And so I think that's something I learned. I feel like that'd be very beneficial for me moving forward. Clad's resources and consulting values its customers. Our planner footsteps to my vision is a 13 month planner that can be used for five years. It walks you through SMART goals, SWOT analysis, action planning, and holds you accountable through three monthly check-ins. We work only with top quality materials, innovative designs, and verified suppliers, which are guaranteed to deliver to our high expectations because when it comes to our customer satisfaction, there's no room for compromise. Made with high quality PU leather and paper planner, helps you focus on achieving your goals by giving you a sense of personal and professional satisfaction. Some of the amazing features of this product, vision board planner, luxury pen, eight gigabyte USB flash drive, wireless mouse, ultra elegant packaging box, available in five stunning colors, black, red, gold, pink, navy blue. Material, PU leather, 13 month planner, Elastic band for easy handling. Our Footsteps to My Vision is available at Amazon, Facebook, Instagram, our website, and at Walmart. You may also follow us at www.cladsresources.com, Instagram, Clads Resources, Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash Clads Resources forward slash. That's some some good knowledge. So, Sophia, I'm, I'm going to ask you not about uh, academic lessons, but life lessons have, uh, you know, like what are some life lessons have that you've learned and that you can pass on to our listeners um, while dealing with different types of um, clients in the real estate game? I would say find something that you love. That's number one. Just go out there, find something that you love. 
and work hard at it. Um, a lot of times people just take a job because they just want to take a job and they become miserable. You know, it's not really what they want and they be job hopping. So every five, four months they're in another job because that's not really what they want. So you have to focus and find, find something where you love and then you focus. You have to set goals. And that's how your company come in. We have your planner where you set your goals. Oh, thank you. Yes. So you have to set goals. And every three months or four months, you visit your goals and you check off where you accomplish and you add more stuff to it and you just keep focusing and just keep going and just keep going and work hard at it. Um, nothing in life really come easy. You really have to go out there and work hard for it. Um, Life, less oh, I mean, clients, well, clients come in different shapes and form. And you have to learn to adapt. You have to learn to not be sensitive. And you have to know that your client comes first. And regardless of what they're saying, even if they say anything negative about you, your client comes first. And you have to ride that way, baby. You, yeah, you have to. You, you have don't have horse and you ride no, it. No, you can't have horse. You just keep going. You just keep going. And you have to have an end goal. This is what I want to accomplish. And, you know, you just have to take it on and just deal with it. Um, it's going to be frustrating at times. It's definitely going to be frustrating at times. But um, what is your end goal? What is it that you can tolerate and what you can't tolerate? And then drink along the way <laughs> so let's take but a the bottom line you have to work hard work hard you have to work hard work work hard and play hard have that balance work hard. yeah you I'm have the, to do balance i'm, I'm the play hard per, um, part of that work hard She's and play work. harder yeah you work hard and play harder that's how i look at it okay so let's let's speak a little bit more about real estate okay so right now you do both commercial and um residential real estate so tell us a little bit more about that okay so residential is my main focus that's where a lot of people you get a lot of your clients um everybody buying house everybody selling house and that's where you find a lot of competition too so you have to really really go out there and know know what you're doing you have to be very smart you have to educate your buyers you have to educate your sellers you have to know what you have to let them know what is current in the market and it's it's not a one two three because everybody have a different set of goals and opinions and where they wanted what what they want to do and you have to know how to tailor certain program or tailor certain make even decision for certain people in order to get anything done. So it, it's, not, it's not a one-shoe-fit-all in real estate. Commercial, it's just different. You only sell it by square footage. That's, that's it. That's it. You sell commercial by square footage. But when you're doing residential, not everybody wants a two-bedroom house. Somebody wants a million-dollar house. Somebody wants a $50,000 house. So it, it's, it's sort of different. Okay. So what would you what, what advice would you give to a buyer before um, they go to a real estate agent? Like, what, what should they have a checklist ready? Um, how do they get prepared for their first home? Okay. So if you're a first-time buyer coming in the market, First, you have to know, how much do I want to spend? How much is going to be my budget? What is it? How much is going to be for? How much is my mortgage going to be every month? So the first thing you're going to do before you do anything else is go to your local bank 
or your credit union and you do what they call a pre-approval. They're going to pull documents from you and they're going to run your credit and they can tell you how much you qualify for. Um, they will tell you what your mortgage is going to be per month and um, your interest rate. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing before you buy a house. Um, the next thing you're going to decide, where do I want to live? If you have kids, I don't want, I want to be in a certain area that my kids is near to school that can get pick up. I don't want to live out certain, out, out of certain school zone. So that would be the, the second thing. Um, where your location, 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 location. And the third thing, now that you know you have your approval, you know how much you budget for every month, is normally a third of your income goes towards your mortgage. That's how they qualify you. And now you know the location that you want to go. Then you find an experienced real, real estate agent. Now, that real estate agent, you bring all of that information to them and they will navigate that part for you where you can find the home of your dream. Okay. All right. So being that your daughter is, is doing finance, how do you think um, and what would you say to a, a first-time buyer about finances? First-time home buyer about finances. I'll leave that to my daughter. When it comes on to your finances, the bank di- dictates to you how much you can get approved for. So that is not a part of my job. The finances have to do with the bank. I only do with the principal and the legal part of it, of the document, which is the contract. So the bank would let you know, because you're making X amount of money, I'm only able to give you X amount to buy that house. In regards to your finances, I would let you know, um, whether you're a first-time home buyer or not, I would say always budget for 20% down. That would take away uh, mortgage insurance. That would give you a better interest rate. And you'll have more equity going into the property. So if you can afford to, I would say 20% down. 20% down. Okay. Now, what, 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 why do you think um, for newer, because I, I see a lot of people when I, I speak to them, they're saying they're going to real estate school. Mm-hmm. And then you see them a little bit later and they're no longer in real estate school. So what do you think is the biggest reason for people failing or giving up when it comes on to real estate? It is a very hard um, business to navigate. You have to be hitting the pavement every day, going out, do your farming area. You have a certain area that you want to sell in. You have to knock on doors. You have to hand out flyers. You have to go out there and talk to people. You have to educate people, let them know what is going on in the market. Now, if you're not that type of person, you're just coming in to say, you know what, I want to sell my brother a house, my sister a house, and my aunt a house, then that's it. That's not for you. You have to know what you're doing. And every corner of the world, of the of the community, there's somebody there that need help. And you have to give them the right in- information because you know what? A lot of times, especially single mom or just a regular couple, that is their biggest investment. So a lot of people don't invest like my daughter. You go to my daughter and they don't invest, but they buy a house so that there's their biggest investment. So you want to make sure they're educated going into the process. And also, um, just to kind of co-sign what you were saying, I just think in general still work ethic. I think people feel like 
being a real estate agent is very easy. You know, you show a home, you go buy a home, you get like a $5,000 check and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. But it's like that you're commission-based. You're completely commission-based. Yep. And I don't think people really think that through until, okay, well, I haven't sold a home in like two, three months and I'm like running low on my funds mm-hmm. and I have to do and I just feel like for people, once they reach like those those like like this downpours of their um their career they like they freak out like they don't know really how to like just calm down and relax okay like i need to do something to kind of get back out there and meet clients mm-hmm. and for me i just feel like it's the lack of commitment of commitment it's a lack of commitment it's it's and it's a lack of just understanding the entire the the, the career in itself mm-hmm. and understand that every day you're going to be closing a home not every day you're going to have like a three to five thousand dollar check coming like, that's not i mean for some people like if you're working for like a big company then maybe it's like a you know, everyday thing, but realistically it's not. And it sounds nice. Like, oh, we're agent super. I feel like it's a little easy. I feel like the barriers to entry in real estate is low. They're, mm-hmm. they're low compared to other careers. And that's when people are just like, oh, I'll just do that. Right. But, but the maintenance of that career is very difficult. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get in. Yes. But it's 10 yeah. times harder to maintain. Yeah. And that's what people don't understand. It's like, yeah. oh, it just looks good. It's easy. I mean, I go to school for a year, take a test, and then I'm I'm fine. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a real estate agent. I'm licensed. Yeah. And yeah, okay, and cool. Then, but then to hold on to that career yes. and commit to it, I think that's what's just very yes. difficult for individuals. Yeah, that's true. And then uh, after four or five months, they leave it and go find themselves a job, a nine-to-five yeah. job, because they can't take it. Right. It's yeah. it's it's the consistency it's and the, the follow-up. Yeah, but you have to perform too, because if you're doing the job and you're somebody, then nobody's gonna be interested in making selling a house too. That is true. Yeah. I mean, you have to have reputation matters, be yeah. it in a prof- in your in a professional uh, nine to five setting, or if you have your own business. It's always about the yes. quality. You can be able to trust you. of 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 what you them. do. Yeah. So a, a lot of times when uh, entrepreneurs or someone that's entering uh, a new field of business they like to calculate the risk and the rewards right they kind of over analyze it so what would you say like when is this it is a time to stop calculating risk and rewards and just go ahead and do what you need to do oh um, well again it's not a very because if you have a one income household i would never tell it to do real estate because I mean, if you, especially if you have mortgage and you have kids and so forth in school, that wouldn't be something you'd want to take on. You probably maybe have two person working and at least six months um, off your bills save in your account before you maybe you want to do that. And um, I would say go with a reputable company. That people easily identify you wait once you said Codwell or Remax, they you know immediately they know that company, um, right? Yeah. So I would say don't do it if you don't have enough because sometimes you'll be there for six seven months so you never sell a house. You have your bills to pay, so you'd have to take a second job. But a lot of realtors have second jobs too. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of realtors are second Most job. of the ones that I know, apart but, from you, have yeah, a second have job. have a second job. Actually, you're the only one that I know that don't yeah. have a second job. I run a <laughs> I think about it. <laughs> so, Tony and... Well, I have a good um, person in the background that takes care of so I can go out and do it. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> so, so, support, support, support systems system. are good, mm-hmm. and Wade is a good, good support system. Yep. 
So, Tony, and I'm, I'm going to ask you the same question. When do you think it's a good time to stop calculating risk and rewards and just kind of throw yourself into what you need to do to achieve the career that you need to achieve? So for me, I think it's less um, like financial based or less like strict like mom is. For me, I think it's mostly just about the passion. I feel like when you're passionate about it, regardless if it's going to fail or not going to fail, you just need to do it because you know it's something that you love. Yeah. And I feel like there are a lot of, I'm sure there are a lot of stories out there that if people just focus on, you know, the risk and rewards, they probably would have never ventured onto what they're planning on doing. Like, you know, the average restaurant, you know, they're, they're bank over the first like two, three years, but you have a lot of very like successful mom and pop because I'm sure they struggled a lot, mm-hmm. but they know like this is, this is what I'm giving to the world. Like this is my thing. And regardless of how much it's going to, you know, it's it's going to, I'm going to struggle. This is what I'm passionate about. I'm going to continue and push forward to yeah. get it done. So for me personally, I think it's less on like the logical aspect of risk and reward, more on the emotional side, because in my opinion, I think passion is what gets you the farthest because I, I think after a while, because you're, you're, you're putting your best foot forward and eventually you're going to reap what you sow, right? It may not be in, in like the, the time period or the time frame that you find you know, like acceptable or preferable, but I think down the line it will get there. Um, and let's just say, I think it's more of a, more of an emotional thing, more of a passion thing, because not everything's going to look good on paper and I'm in finance. So I know that there's a lot of things that may not look good on good on paper, but if you had the right team around you and the right mindset, you can turn that around. Right. Cause you know, when Netflix started out, it wasn't looking that good on paper because you can, you, you're competing with direct TV, you're competing with comedy, you're competing with all these things already out Blockbuster, there. Blockbuster, who is no longer in business. Who's no, who's no longer in business. So when they started out on paper, I, they probably didn't think they were going to get this far. But I'm pretty sure there's someone behind the scenes like, no, just, I can see this growing. And now streaming services, some of the most profitable businesses, some of the most highest stocks in the market. So there again, are, yeah, they're actually affecting movie theaters now because now you can stream a movie in your in your um in the comfort of your home exactly so i think um follow your passion because everything's gonna look good good, looks good on paper okay so if you had the opportunity to get a message across to a large group of people what would your message be in pursuing your passion I don't know. Again, I don't want to sound platitudinous. It's like, oh, just do what you want. Platitudinous. I don't want to sound too platitudinous. Can you spell it for us, please? <laughs> <laughs> Is that uh, a Latin version? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess when it comes to pursuing your career, just, you know, despite, you know, obviously the passion and all that stuff, I definitely think it would not hurt to just make us try to do your best to make a solid plan. Try to just know as much as you can about the industry itself. Try to know as like as much or try to and try to get a better understanding of where you currently stand in the industry. You know, like what are your experience? What are you bringing to the table that maybe somebody else isn't? Right. Like, how can you be innovative in that industry? How can you set yourself apart from other people? Because you're doing this for a reason, like like really tone, like tone in and like figure out like what that reason is. And then just and do your research, you know, like because then the you don't know what you don't know. And I think you'd be doing a disservice to yourself by not doing that. Like for me personally, I do believe that, you know, my representation and my perspective on certain things in the finance industry, they're not, it's not really, you know, focused on or listened to, you know? So I do think there are times where I bring a different perspective to the table that maybe somebody else might not because of their background, their experience or whatever the case may be. So, and, and regardless of who can, who's going to tell me otherwise, I take pride in it because I know I have that. You're right. And I know I bring that to the table, but you have to also believe in that, you know, because if people are going to tell you like, no, nothing you're saying 
to me is, is you know, is, is important or whatever. But at the end of the day, like, you know who you are, you know, what you've researched and what you've done. So, um, yeah, just definitely try to get a solid plan and understand where you stand in the industry. And then I think once that, like, logic part of that done, of that's done, and I think your passion and everything else will take you the rest of the way. Yeah. Personally. Okay. All right. And think outside the box, though. Yeah, and especially when you're in a crowded field, yeah, you have to think outside the box that makes you different, that makes you unique, that makes people gravitate towards you, that want to come, want to find you, want to, and you know, want to get your service. You always have to think outside the box. Yeah. Okay. So let's discuss influence and uh, and its impact on your lives. So what? Who are not what? Who are three people who have been the most influential to you both and i will start with sophia my mom i think my mom well she uh she teaches us how to work hard and then you can put your own twist on it i mean their 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 hard working is just generic you go to work come back sleep go back but but then you can figure out a way how can i do this the same thing but do it better so i think i think my mom um, the next person that really pushed me is my husband. He really pushed me. Um, I think, um, he knows that I have it, but, um, it's, it's hard for you to sit down, plan and execute it unless you have, and sometimes you need somebody to say, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can go out and do it. And for the last 16 years, he's been saying, yes, you can, yes, you can, yes, you can do it. And that sort of motivates me. And third is my kids. I look at my kids and I see they're killing it. I mean, whatever whatever they want to do, whatever field they want to do, and they're just doing it. They're just doing it. So I would say, no. I would say um, my mom, Wayne, and my kids. All right. And Tony in. And I apologize for the outburst. <laughs> Um, I think all of my, like, influential people have been more internal than external. So I'll first, I mean, again, it's a cliche thing, but definitely start off with my mother. Seeing, you know, where she's come from and the work that she puts in every day. And it's great. So my mother is actually, she's a, it's a... is It's like, it's, okay, do you, it's a balance, right? I... I see the drive. I see the the quote unquote hustle that people love to glorify, um, and I respect that and I admire that, and I like to incorporate that into my work ethic. But also see like how it can she can overwork herself to an extent, and I don't want to have to go through that, right? <laughs> so she's so she's extremely influential because she's taught me that how to get to that point, but also showed me you know like. Don't kill yourself for it because at the end of the day, I, I personally feel like you shouldn't have to. So I won't. I just absolutely will not do that. Maybe it's the m- millennial in me. Um, but like, I would never say don't work hard. You have to work hard. I think you have to work hard to get anywhere you want to go. But at the same time, just don't kill yourself because, because yeah, everyone needs yeah, a balance. The, the life needs a balance. Yeah. I, I fully understand what you say because I, my mom is. The same way, yeah. <laughs> and because of that, she's missed out on some 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 family moments mm-hmm. that you're like you can't take those memories back, 
Right? You, you can't, like, you don't have them, so you can't even you take can't, them back as you were. You never had them to begin with. You never had them to begin with, so fully understand. Yeah. So, yeah. So, moving forward with, like, my children, I want to be as present as possible. You know, just from my household, I want to be as, as present as possible. And there's, there's no resentment. There's nothing, <laughs> like, there's nothing like that whatsoever. Um, you know, but, but I feel like, I think coming as, like, a first generation here, there's just so, there's a lot of pressure on her to get get things done. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So she knew no other way, but like she worked hard. So I had other options, right? So I don't have to go down the exact same path. So again, like I respect that and understand that. And then second is my father, because one thing about Wayne is like, regardless of how hard life gets, he's always like, Hey man, it's all right. It's okay. Like, don't worry about it. Like, you know, he's he, it, like, he is literally the epitome of going with the flow. Like there is, <laughs> he is, he's like, you know, uh, the river and the Grand Canyon that just goes through all the sediment and breaks down. And it's like this beautiful, like landmark. Is, I'm, mom, I'm, I'm, thank you. Right. So, <laughs> so he's, and, and he's really like showed me that, well, to just not let life get to you too much because if, if you let it get to you, it will get to you and it will break you down. Yes. And yes. then, and then you will, and there are times because of that you will lose sight of your capabilities and what you can and cannot do because you're so caught up in what went wrong and life is always going to go wrong. Like it, it's life, you know? So he's really instilled in me like that mentality. And I'm so grateful for it because for me personally, like I like control. I like things to go a certain way. They don't go a certain way. I just feel like I can't focus and it's just hard for me to kind of like get back to it. And, but with him in my life, he showed me another way and how to like better deal with like adversity. And I'm very grateful for that. And I think the third person, I don't know. Again, I feel like my family itself and, and it's in its entirety and their entire is what really drives me um, just to do better, to continue to do better, to, to continue to take up space in areas where I feel like people that may look like me think that they don't have the opportunity or the, the possibility to take up that space. So I think the third, like in general, like people around me, friends and family and like in its entirety and, you know, how much they matter to me and how much like I, because I feel like I'll do a lot of things for other people too, just because I feel like, I feel like I just have to do my part. I feel like I have to do my part. So yeah, so that's hot. All right. So what would you say has been the most common sense advice that you've ever received? I feel like Wayne's. I feel like Wayne's don't let life get to you because, again, life like life, life never <laughs> goes your way. Um, and we all know that. Like we always say, you know, like stuff happens. Pick up yourself by the bootstrap. It's American. It's American like, like, I don't know, ideology in itself already too. just keep, keep, keep working, keep doing your thing. But the the next layer of that is like when it doesn't go your way, just don't lose focus. Don't lose sight of who you are to capable of and just continue to push forward. And I feel like for him, that has been very beneficial to me. And again, it is common sense. Like you should always know to bounce back. But bouncing back is a lot easier said than done, especially when you hold yourself to a certain standard. There's certain pressures like that that's been put on you or like that you place on yourself. And so bouncing back for a lot of people is just not as easy as we say it is, you know? So, and I'll... And I'm, I can attest to that. So okay. that's my common sense advice. That's her common sense. Sophia, what's your, the most? I think, I think I, uh, it's oh. the same thing, too. Yeah. So use your mic. Said, uh, oh, he always said, um, yeah, don't make life get to you. And you can do it. Just keep going at it. Just keep doing it. It'll work out. 
Yeah, he's the boy stuff region. This family, right, Tonya? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Both are equally important, guys. We have the work ethic, and then we have the uh, then we have the adaptability. Both are equally Both important. Both parents are equally important. <laughs> All right. So it has come the time in the show when I ask my my guest this question. What is one question that I have not asked you so far that you would have liked for me to ask you? Oh, here's my here's my thing because I've been talking for this. The um the importance around IVB schools. If and if it can be, I don't know, as beneficial as they say it is, or honestly can sometimes be a burden on the children or just like the pressure in itself of just like being there because to be completely honest with you, um, cause people always ask me like, Oh, you know, cause you've been there. Like, will you, you know, push your children to go to an Ivy League school? And people always surprise me. I tell them the answer is no. And I was like, but why? Like you're a legacy that, uh, because it's difficult. And sometimes how they treat their students because they know the academic institution they are, it's just not the best towards people to that person's mental health. Like every single Ivy League school in this country has the worst mental health rating because there are times they just don't care about their students because they don't have to. Like, I don't really have to care about your well-being because at the end of the day, I'm Yale, I'm Harvard, I'm Brown, I'm Columbia, I'm UPenn, you know? And I've seen a lot of people struggle. So a lot of like mental breakdowns and it's just not fun. Like I personally, I have a friend whose parents... Both parents went to Ivy League schools. One went to Columbia. Another one went to, like, Brown or something. And he got into Columbia. And his mother told him, you're not going. She's like, what do you, he's like, what do you mean? He's like, he's like the, the how I was treated and how much my mental health deteriorated. And, but, like, but, and, and on top of the pressure of me having to finish, she's like, I would never want my child to go through that. And he didn't end up going. Because cause she put her child's well-being in her mind above just having – you know, that name behind your degree. So that's another thing. That's for me. Um, and I feel like people always just go, oh, like, why would you say that? But for someone that's experienced it, like, they ask, would you go back? I'm like, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to be real about it. Like, yes, it's it's commendable. It's amazing. It's an amazing achievement. And I'm very proud of myself. Do not get me wrong. I'm very proud of myself. But to go out of my way, because I've, I've actually experienced it, to push my child to go, knowing, like, the possible, like, mental health like deterioration that could possibly happen like if they didn't want to go i'm just i'm just not gonna push them and this isn't like no disrespect to any parent right that thinks your child should go or anything like that because i was everybody has their own thing i just me personally experience with this but like if they don't want to i'm just not gonna force it on them. oh wow that's actually a very very interesting i did not see that one coming yeah I really did not. I did not see that one coming either. Said the mom. <laughs> <laughs> so mom. Well, you know, men are a child to go to Harvard. I'm just saying, like, I never see that one coming. Well, well, you know what? Mental <laughs> health is 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 is, is very one, important, very and a lot of times we don't, especially in a minority community, address mental health and being from the caribbean island makes it even worse because we we act as if it it does not exist yes, you're kind of super so rough, you know so. just to hear her address that and give that a, that point of view yeah. uh, from going through her experiences as being yeah. a student i mean i fully appreciate it all right so sophia what's what's one question that i 
did not ask you that. I think you thought to cover all your bases, though. How about the current uh, real estate like industry and you know the overpricing of homes? And do you think that's going to change anytime soon? Oh well, one question would: um, <laughs> Is the market going to change anytime soon? I well, buy a home. <laughs> real estate is always slow to change. So yes, it's going to change, but not anytime soon. Um, what we see now is just cash, 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 cash. People up north, they're selling, they're coming down, and they're buying their property cash. So what does that mean? It leave out all first-time home buyers or second-time home buyers who want to buy a house because um, I would rather take cash over finance. Now we start to see the market start to cool down where cash is going away and that um, allow people to come back in that with an FHA loan, conventional loan, or a VA loan. Um, it's going to continue for a while because we don't have enough inventory on the market. We're short about 4 million houses. So you're going to have um, overpricing. You're going to have people bidding on homes, um, maybe for another two years. But then the market going to adjust itself. So the market is slow to change right now. The market is hot. But there's going to be a cool down at some point. Okay. All right. Well, my voice is going. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. I do enjoy it. It was a very, very good conversation. We'll be happy to have you guys back and actually just dive a little bit more in. But thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening and taking some time to talk with class. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Clads Resources and online at www.cladsresources.com. Our planner, Footsteps to My Vision, is also located on our website or on Facebook, Instagram, or Amazon. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share, and check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep creating your footpath to your vision.